I want to thank all the labor unions here in Dane County that help keep SlyOffice.com up and going so you keep up to date. Whether it be the Madison Firefighters, Local 311, or the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, or our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. These are some of the most active local unions who organize, 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 and constantly stand up for workers. Thank you from SlyOffice.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. Welcome to another podcast, the first podcast of the year. SlyOffice.com brought to you by our friends at the Operating Engineers, Local 139. Also, Madison Teamsters, Local 695. And before we get going this morning, I just want to pay tribute to the two firefighters from Mineral Point who were killed last night as we record this on January 6th in a uh, in an accident hit by a semi-truck. So our condolences and our thoughts for the safety of all first responders, John. I would share you, I, I will share your comment. You know, my family first settled in Mineral Point in the 1820s, and so uh, I still have relatives out there, and we feel a lot of, of connection to that place. And last night was not a not an easy night to be out. Cold and snowy and a lot of other things going on. And the people, firefighters and others who go out on nights like that are real heroes. Without a second thought, they go out yeah. on nights like that. They, All right. In fact, they, they, they rush to do it. And, um, and so i uh, thinking of them a lot this morning. John Nichols from the Capital Times with us. John, let's start out because it is January 6th, one-year anniversary of the insurrection. Let's start out with this clip. We're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. Well, speaking of weak, those soft, very small little nubbins of his have never had a callus on them. And he didn't meet them that day at the Capitol. How did him, how's a man so weak, so insular, uh, so lacking in any sort of real grit, uh, become the hero to such a movement. Well, you know, this is often the case with uh, authoritarians and totalitarians, you know, that, that they aren't, you know, dynamic leaders. They aren't, they aren't uh, you know, like great military folks or even great orders sometimes. Um, but they're, they're good at stoking the fears. They, uh, perhaps because of their own weakness, because of their own pathetic nature, damaged character, um, they're very, very good at, you know, kind of getting to those, uh, those junctures, those critical junctures, where people's fears can overwhelm their reason and overwhelm their logic. And, and I think Trump is a master of that. I think he's uh, spent a lifetime figuring out how to, uh, A, protect himself, which he did on January 6th. He didn't, he didn't go to the Capitol. Um, but, B, also how to uh, provoke and encourage and scare 
others into doing his bidding. And this goes back to even when he was a reality TV star. Remember, what did he do, you know, on his reality TV show? He threatened people with firing if they didn't, you know, impress him. And so he's a master at this. And, and I think that's the explanation for, you know, a lot, of, a lot of what we see with him that is so deeply troubling. But in many ways, of course, he's not really a leader. In many ways, he's a follower. And, and the foundation of this movement didn't start when he came down that escalator. He decided to take it over, but that this whole mess has been years in the making. Would that be correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, if you want to look at the roots of this thing, um, I think you have to go back. I mean, you, it, you could go back forever, right? You can go back to the to elements of the Constitution that, that had vulnerabilities, you know, a Constitution written with an assumption that people would bow to the the complexities and the vagaries of democracy, um, and, uh, and, and assuming that 200 years on, everybody's going to keep following the rules, dangerous game, and, and we've, we've been tripped up many times along the way. But if we want to look at, the, at where, you know, kind of the, the effort to undermine uh, the constitutional order, the effort to undermine a sense of how we, we do democracy in this country, how we do elections and, and their aftermath. I, I think that it's fair to say that you would at least go back to 2009, 2010, with the rise of the Tea Party, um, which was not in and of itself bad, but it was, it was this manipulated reality. It was this effort uh, to essentially say, America is overwhelmingly elected a new president. You know, Barack Obama won by landslide. Democrats won overwhelming control of Congress. Uh, but yet there's going to be this movement, this effort, to prevent him from governing. And, uh, and that, obviously, Tea Party was not a factor in that. They were in the streets, they, you know, making noise and stuff like that, uh, trying to create the image of a popular opposition to Obama. But Republicans in Congress, people like Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, and others, conspired to, you know, kind of implement this, this approach. So you had this inside-outside pressure. Uh, and then that evolved into the 2010 election where people like Scott Walker got elected. And look at what Scott Walker did moments after getting elected in Wisconsin. He immediately set out to uh, dramatically undermine organized labor, uh, voice working people, not just in the workplace but in our politics, but all sorts of other things, undermine the trial lawyers, undermine you know, any kind of opposition, and then presided over uh, a radical gerrymandering of legislative districts, uh, voter suppression schemes. And so what you really saw, and Wisconsin is just one example of this, of a, a new breed of Republicans who came in who knew that they couldn't win on their ideas, and so they decided to begin to game politics, to attack, you know, literally the, the Democratic infrastructure. And it, it was only a matter of time before Trump came along and, and well, and our pushback in Wisconsin ultimately didn't overturn Act 10, but it did stop them from going into other states and doing this as far as the, the, that, attack, that specific attack right. on labor. Well, it, and there's another interesting element of it, Sly, that um, you know, the recall election, which was certainly not successful in, our, in defeating Scott Walker because of huge amounts of money came in and strategic you know, missteps by Democrats as well. Um, but remember, it flipped the Senate, you know, and for a, a brief period there in 2012, 
uh, you had Mark Miller, you know, and others in, in charge of the state Senate. They were able to slow down Walker's agenda in a presidential election year. And, and so while it was certainly not sufficient, um, uh, there, was, there, was, there were some successful pushbacks in Wisconsin. Uh, but it's still that, that model slide that, that, you know, when you get power, you do everything to undermine those who might uh, honestly and fairly, using the small-D democratic system, uh, upset your power. That, that anybody who might be a credible opponent to you you try to destroy them, and um, it's just—it's not a very big leap from that to saying, you know, when you've lost an election, you're still going to try and overturn that election. And this is not unique to America. We've seen this in Hungary. We've seen this in other—well, we've seen extreme examples of it in Belarus. We've seen it in Brazil. We've seen it all over the place. It's not necessarily unique to America. Why does this exist? Why are— why are people uh, why are people hellbent on being authoritarians? Oh, well that's that's easy. And I think it exists, you know, let's be fair. It's existed, you know, across the political spectrum. There are people who don't want to do the hard work of of democracy. They're lazy, right? They just they want the power um, and maybe again because they're damaged people, they're delusional, whatever, but they want the power and they don't want to to do the work of uh, holding power. Right, you know, of, of maintaining power because to maintain power, you know, you might win an election as a populist, you know, in a in a moment where, you know, you you rally the people, maybe for the good, maybe for the bad, but you wouldn't remain in power um, because people would, if you're a bad player, people are going to wake up to you, right? They're going to, they're right? Gonna, and so, you know, I think really at the heart of it is it's hard work to remain uh, in a position of power. And you have to bend to the will of the people. And I'll give you one good example. Um, in Wisconsin, you and I uh, were incredibly critical of Tommy Thompson when he was governor of Wisconsin, right? I mean... Yes, he, I would think that's fair. That's a fair statement. We were rough on the guy, and we saw many things we disagreed with. But the interesting thing about Tommy Thompson was he was willing to do the very hard work of maintaining power. And so uh, he would, you know, he did raise a lot of money. I didn't like the money that came in. I didn't like some of his tactics, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, he didn't upend the labor unions. He didn't upend the trial lawyers. He didn't, you know, engage in, you know, like extreme gerrymandering. Uh, the fact of the matter is that, that Tommy Thompson accepted the rules of the game, and he was a big enough individual, right, intellectually, emotionally, whatever, that, that he's ready to do the fight. And if he won, he lost. And remember, he lost an election in 2012 uh, for the U.S. Senate. Uh, but it, he, he accepted the rules of the game and played it, I think, you know, reasonably honorably. And, and that's why today, obviously, you know, he's very successful head of the university system, et cetera. Um, so it can be, you know, this isn't about Democrat and Republican. It's not liberal or conservative. It's really about how seriously you take um, you know, the work of democracy. Here is uh, a clip for, you, you may uh, remember that I had a dust up with this gentleman years ago. <laughs> Here is uh, here's a story from ABC. Tonight, the House January 6th committee is asking to speak to Fox News host Sean Hannity, describing him as a de facto advisor to former President Donald Trump. The committee already has dozens of text messages Hannity exchanged with former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and others. 
On December 31st, a week before the insurrection, Hannity seemed to warn Meadows that top lawyers at the White House were on the verge of resigning en masse to protest Trump's plans to overturn the election. He texted, quote, we can't lose the entire White House counsel's office. I do not see January 6th happening the way he is being told. On January 5th, the day before the insurrection, the committee says Hannity seemed to sound the alarm, texting, I'm very worried about the next 48 hours. And the next day, those fears were realized. During the riot, Hannity texted Meadows, quote, can he make a statement, ask people to leave the Capitol? That night on Fox News, Hannity condemned the rioters. And all of today's perpetrators must be arrested and prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And days after the riot, Hannity wrote Meadows and Congressman Jim Jordan, describing a difficult conversation he had just had with Trump, writing, quote, he can't mention the election again, ever. I did not have a good call with him today. And worse, I'm not sure what is left to do or say, and I don't like not knowing if it's truly understood. So let's bring in John Carl again tonight. And John, the committee is now asking for Hannity to, quote, voluntarily cooperate here. Any word tonight whether he will? Hannity's lawyer has just put out a statement saying they are evaluating the request from the committee and saying, quote, we remain very concerned about the constitutional implications, especially as it relates to the First Amendment. They say they will respond as appropriate. So no answer yet. Uh, if Sean Hannity's a journalist, I'm a model for Tommy Hilfiger. Well, a little both there, eh? <laughs> uh, no, this is, a, this is look, uh, if we're going to talk about the... Uh, Complexities of calling journalists and calling people who you know identify as journalists or communicate as such. Um, I'm you know I understand I understand the concerns about that, um, and I and I respect that uh, that Hannity's lawyers are going to raise raise these issues, and, and I also respect you know how courts may rule on them. But what I don't think is particularly uh, required at this point is a lot more information. I mean, I think we know. <laughs> I think Hannity's right? It's, it's like everybody's like, oh, wow, we've got to get Hannity to testify about this. I mean, really? Because you know what he'll testify, right? He'll lie. Um, and uh, and the fact is, his lying, his duplicitous behavior has already been exposed. I mean, exposed, by the way, by his own friends and allies, which is uh, certainly suggests the no loyalty among thieves. It's a it's a pretty remarkable thing that a president of the United States would go to someone with Sean Hannity's level of intellect for political advice and for yeah, I, governing. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty it, it's a low bar. Well, it's a low bar, but it's an interesting thing because I think that you know they found each other, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I I genuinely believe that Sean Hannity and Donald Trump can communicate. You know, and they really, on most days, get each other. They understand one another just about perfectly. Um, and so what's striking is that, that note that Hannity sent after January 6th, where he said, I had a bad conversation with, with Trump, and you know, I'm really kind of concerned about this, because that kind of gets to the heart of the matter. The fact is that up to that point, by and large, Hannity, I think, like a lot of people who, you know, play with fire, thought that he could, you know, kind of manage Trump, that he could, he could influence Trump in the right direction. What he realized is, uh, and what I think he saw on that day, was that Trump had, had 
not going to take his counsel. Trump had decided the route he was going on. Now, the fascinating thing is in the course of the year since then, what was Hannity's choice, right? Did he say, okay, I'm going over with Charlie Sykes and Jennifer Rubin and these other, you know, longtime conservatives, and I'm, I'm going to be on the other side. I'm going to call this out because I've seen, you know, I've kind of stared in the face of this thing, and I'm going to oppose it. Uh, no, what Hannity ultimately decided to do was to scramble back into the Trump camp and essentially to live there. John Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation will be back at Sly'sOffice.com. Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Fort Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Wachs have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers. Welcome back to SliceOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at Madison Computer Works and also Jeff's Guitar Clinic. So one of the other interesting players in this whole ridiculous mess is Peter Navarro. Now, Peter Navarro is is kind of an interesting figure in that uh, in the whole debate over tariffs and trade, he was kind of a unique player, very different than Republican orthodoxy. So he worked with uh, labor unions and some others uh, to maybe recraft the the NAFTA debate a little bit. It didn't really turn out that well. But nonetheless, when it came to holding on to power, this guy was all in. He made an appearance. He's got a book out now, John. And he made an appearance on Ari Melber's show the other day. Uh, which is just about the last thing I watch on MSNBC. Here's a, here's a clip of Navarro and Melber. I went over tens of thousands of pages of documents and proved that the election was on all likelihood stolen through fraud and election irregularities. That's false, but I, I, the question for the start false, of the interview... We'll yes, it is fine to talk. you got to say that. And, and what I'm saying is that... that I don't was have to say anything, sir. I'm asking you the question is... Sure. What was the plan itself and who was in on it? Exactly. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that the, the plan was simply this. We were going to challenge the, the results of the election in the six battleground states. We believe that if the votes were sent back to those battleground states, that m- most or all of those states would decertify the election. That would throw the election to the House of Representatives. The election was still in doubt. The remedy was for Vice President Pence's, the quarterback in the Green Bay sweep, to remand those votes back to the six battleground states. Do you realize you are describing a coup? No. The secretaries of state in, in Michigan and Pennsylvania, they were put in power by George Soros. This was a failure of the judicial branch. You keep saying that the courts rejected the claims, but everything that went they to did. the court... Don't you understand that if that actually were the system, it would be dumb and dangerous. We have an entire system designed to thwart 
and I want to say this respectfully, but it's the truth, sure. people like you, to stop people like you. People like you are what the Constitution are designed to stop, and it worked, and it did stop you. Uh, I don't think you really had to use the word respectfully, but uh, beside that, it was quite an interesting moment. That was amazing. <laughs> it was just flat out. Uh, you know, you know, let's, let's look at all the things that are remarkable about that. Number one, that Peter Navarro thought that he could hold his own with an actual interviewer. You know? Yeah, an attorney. <laughs> yeah, a, a good, you know, of all the shows that you would go on, it wouldn't be Ari Melbers, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Uh, across all of cable. Uh, he's the one who actually has prosecutorial instincts. And he also had control of that, that conversation. You know, when he called uh, Navarro out immediately, that, that kind of you know, shifted the tenor of the thing, I think, in some very effective ways. But beyond the style of it, right, beyond the structure of it, um, you get to the, the heart of the matter. And, uh, and what I think that you saw Navarro kind of trip up, like he didn't quite know what to say when Melbourne said, what you're describing is a coup. And he's like, well, no, George Soros, right? George Soros. <laughs> it's like, what? First thing, it's like, like there's a default position in the heads of these people. It's like when, it, when you have absolutely no response to something, yeah. they yell George Soros. It's, it's their safe word. Or, right? Ante or Antifa, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. Point well taken. But I think that Soros even gets a higher, higher uh, you know, Kind of level on that that list. Of well, people. I don't know. They blame the they blame the insurrection of the Capitol on Antifa. Yeah, Ron Johnson. If you just to bring in our friend Ron Johnson there. Oh, yeah, we'll big, we'll get to him in a minute. I figure we will. But anyways, I think that look, Navarro is uh, you know there is so much on Navarro. There there are books and books to be written about Navarro's bad play here, and it's of course you know supporting and sustaining a coup attempt and, and outlining the plan for it. But this is also the guy, remember who. Um, you know, had you know a huge role in uh, initially alerting the White House to the COVID threat, and then you know going along with the absolute failure of the White House, the Trump White House, to respond to it. So, I mean, if there's anybody who has a lot to answer for, it's Peter Navarro. So, uh, <laughs> we we have kind of our our own scandal going on in slow motion in Wisconsin, where a a failed Supreme Court justice, really a tragic, pathetic man, has been given a lot of money to go on a witch hunt and essentially uh, use the mechanisms of, of power from Robin Voss to attack democracy. And I don't know how you would put it any other way. And Channel 12, I got to give Channel 12 in, in Milwaukee a great deal of credit because Adrian Pedersen and Matt Smith are both really good journalists that cover democracy. There aren't many left. Uh, this is Matt Smith with Robin Voss uh, yesterday. In a wide-ranging taping for Upfront Wednesday, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss for the first time since Michael Gableman's contract was supposed to end at the end of 2021. And I still would like to have his report by the end of February. I've been very clear with Justice Gableman that I want to have legislation on the floor to be able to pass no later than the end of our session, which concludes in March. So that means I really need his report by the end of February for us to be able to utilize that as part of the evidence that we present to the people of Wisconsin as to why we need to make the changes that are necessary uh, in March. So does he have a new contract? 
you know, it really is an extension of the other one that we have. It has been um, extended. There's no official extension. We're in the process of negotiating that. Um, but certainly I want him to conclude the work. Voss also revealing his continued private conversations with former President Donald Trump, who has pressured Wisconsin Republicans and continues to falsely claim the election was stolen. When's the last time you talked to former President Trump? Have you talked to them since you met with him on, on the plane? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've talked to him, I won't say on a regular basis, but half a dozen times, um, just to kind of keep him up to date, uh, to make sure that he understands what's happening, to know that we are doing our very best. Why is it important to keep the former president up to speed on this? Well, he's still the, one of the leaders of our party. Tonight, Speaker Voss is also responding to Republican State Senator Kathy Bernier, who is calling on the Gableman probe to end. A conversation you won't want to miss Sunday morning on Upfront. Yeah, there's your tease. Be sure to watch that Sunday morning. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think a lot of people will. Uh, your thoughts on where we're at with this charade? Well, it's kind of striking uh, because I thought when uh, Kathy Bernier stepped up, right, as a very, very conservative Republican um, who, you know. Yeah, she's a Tea Party Republican. Yeah, her credentials are, are, are all, you know, like, like Liz Cheney, mm -hmm. um, you know, well vetted. Oh, right. Um, when she stepped up, uh, I thought she was giving boss and the other leaders in the legislature kind of an out, right? You know, that she would take the initial hits and then, you know, there would be a, an evolution toward respecting that, that that was where they needed to go. Uh, what Boss is saying here is no, that that is not where they're going to go, um, that they are, in fact, extending Gableman's contract. And, you know, this, this language about, well, it's an extension, it's not a new one, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is, you know, bottom line is it, it's, the captain said in editorial recently, I mean, boss is Gableman. Gableman is boss. They are one and the same. You can't separate them from, from each other because, you know, boss needs Gableman because uh, boss needs to show Trump that he's, quote, unquote, doing something. Gableman needs boss because without boss's uh, support. Back to mother's basement. Yeah, right. It just falls apart, right? And, and I mean, uh, this, is, this is a really, really destructive path we're on here. Uh, because, you know, as we know, in Green Bay and Madison, Milwaukee, other places, uh, you know, Gableman is making demands on local government uh, that, is, that are both unreasonable and absurd. Uh, but they're going to have to deal with it. This is all over the courts. It's a mess on all sides in the courts. Uh, Boss himself is in trouble or at least facing, you know, challenges. And so, you know, what I hate to tell you, Sly, is I think we're going to have a year of this. I think this is going to be a huge part of of, you know, what 2022 is about, rather than a discussion about, you know, COVID and, and jobs and healthcare and all sorts of other issues. I think we're going to have a real wrangle about, you know, a lie about uh, the 2020 election. And it will come to a head, uh, not with Boss, although, you know, hopefully someone credible runs against him and, and, you know, gets further than past candidates have. Not the past candidates didn't try, but it's a very gerrymandered district. Um, but it'll come to a head in the governor's race slide, because uh, if Rebecca Clayfish is the Republican nominee for governor, uh, at least at this point, she, is, she has refused to say that she would um, reject an effort to overturn the election. Here is a Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call. The insurrection wasn't uh, simply a one-day event. It was the culmination of efforts to sow doubt in the results of our elections, efforts that are baseless. That big lie continues, unfortunately. It didn't end with the insurrection. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, 
why can't the Department of Justice be investigating corruption with Voss and Gableman? Because this sure looks like a corrupt enterprise to me. Yeah, I, I you know, this gets a little bit into the, the state level variation on the Merrick Garland question, right? At the federal level, right? I mean, you know, at, at what point do you step up and and say there's something happening here that is just wrong? And I, I, I actually liked a lot of what Josh Call had to say, but but it is that question of you know, do you take it to the next step? And I think it's appropriate to open an inquiry. I, and if not, Josh Call. Um, although I, I think it's very appropriate for him to do so, I think it would be appropriate for a district attorney to do so. Um, in, in one of the jurisdictions that where, especially in one of the jurisdictions where Gableman has, you know, kind of particularly gone off the rails, and that's you know Brown, uh, Dane, Milwaukee counties. Finally, here is a, a clip of a man who says he's going to make his decision in the next couple weeks and whether to run for re-election. Uh, he, he is whipping up fear, trying to keep America in a state of fear over this so they can control our lives. He's ignored early treatment. And I, again, I, I don't say that with any joy. I wish it weren't the case, but it's truth. And we have to acknowledge reality if we're going to deal with this. I, I don't see how anybody can take a look at, at Anthony Fauci's response to COVID and call it a success. 780,000 people dead. The economic devastation, the human toll of that, it's been a miserable failure. Why would you any why would anybody listen to Anthony Fauci so, so you're beyond on, me? I'm certainly not. You're on record then as saying that the reason seven hundred eighty thousand Americans, more than nine thousand Wisconsinites, have died with COVID nineteen, that's more on Anthony Fauci than on people refusing to wear masks, socially distance, or get vaccinated. Fauci carries more blame than individuals not following guidance. What I'm saying is we have ignored early treatment that could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. Yes. That well, says it all. I don't know what else you say. Yeah, yeah. well, he's, he's running against Fauci. Unfortunately, Fauci's not on the ballot, or maybe fortunately. Um, and look, this is Ron Johnson. This is, and, and I, I invite folks to remember that as we speak on January 6th, and we've spoken for much of this conversation about the events of January 6th and their, their aftermath, that uh, in the run-up to January 6th, Ron Johnson was, you know, one of the uh, chief peddlers of the, the lies, the fantasies, the, the outrageous statements that, that, you know, fed the insurrection, that inspired it, right? He, 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 is, he was a bad player in this, an incredibly bad player, so much so that it's notable the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, not a particularly bold newspaper, um, said he should leave Congress, you know, that he, he had no place there. Uh, and, and I think it's important to remember that uh, Johnson has, in the last couple years, clearly lost it. He's out there in a zone of conspiracy theory and, and madness that is both damaging to democracy, but also damaging to the, the physical health and safety of Wisconsinites and Americans. And his, his race, and we talked about the governor's race a second ago, which is incredibly vital, but ultimately his race becomes the, the kind of pinnacle contest in Wisconsin in 2022 because it is, you know, much like the Joe McCarthy re-election race in 1952, a question of whether Wisconsin will hold a senator to account for being an outrageous liar. John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation. Thanks for coming on Sly's Office. Sly'sOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.